have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn once again to the first letter of John near the end of the New Testament. This evening we will be continuing on in chapter 3, looking specifically at verses 4 through 10 will be our text this evening. It's a text that reminds us of the danger of sin and how part of the Christian life is to forsake sin. If you would please now give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely sufficient. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative. And the word of the Lord is completely without error. 1 John chapter 3, beginning at verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we ask that you would open our ears to your word. We ask that you would open our hearts, that you would enlighten our minds, that we would hear your word and by the power of your spirit we would be changed by it. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. A question sometimes that we must ask ourselves is, what does it mean to follow God? What does it mean to say, You are a Christian, and you follow Jesus Christ. It seems that that changes more and more with every passing year in our modern world. Things that seem to be very stable truths that have been believed for centuries by the church are going by the wayside. People keep trying to redefine what it means to be a Christian, especially with respect to morality And sin. But this evening, John gives us a very stark and clear picture. He paints before us a picture of sin and its danger, and the fact that sin is completely contrary to the nature of God, and that we who claim to follow the Lord Jesus Christ cannot engage in sin or treat it lightly. And so this evening, We're going to look at some 
verses that sometimes make us uncomfortable. So uncomfortable that even in our translation this evening, there is a bit as much of interpretation as translation to help us understand what John is saying. We begin this evening by looking at the fact that sin is contrary to God. John opens up and he says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Now I want you to notice the very first word of our passage this evening. Everyone. John makes no exception. He doesn't say believers in this certain area of the world, believers of a certain age, believers with a certain upbringing. He says, everyone. And over and over again, he does this. If you look down at verse 6, he does the reverse universalizing principle. He says, no one. The Greek is actually exactly the same. The word is everyone, except for here, John puts a no in front of it. And then again, in verse 9, he says, no one. He wants us to understand that what he is about to say applies to us. We are not allowed to sit in judgment of what he says and to use the excuse that we are more sophisticated or that we are not vulnerable or that we somehow know better. No, what John is about to say concerning sin applies to everyone. And he is doing this intentionally for his audience. Because you see, in his day, heretics had arisen. And they had said that it wasn't really important what you did. You could engage in certain practices of sin and still be right with God just by the fact that you had secret knowledge. You could claim to be a higher sort of person. Someone who is beyond judgment, almost as it were. They were claiming over and over again that they were exceptions To the rule. But John says no. He says what sin is, is it is lawlessness. And this is a very forceful way of John describing sin. We often hear the way that sin is described. Someone perhaps has told you that the word that is at the root of the word sin means to miss the mark. And that's true. But I think somehow we get that in our mind and we get the idea that, well, nobody's perfect, and occasionally things may not go my way. I don't mean to lie to people. I don't mean to cheat on my wife and hurt her. I don't mean to be angry with my children. It's just something that happens. I've missed the mark. But you see, that's not the biblical way of missing the mark. And so John says that sin actually is lawlessness. He says sin is intentional. It is willful rebellion against God. For lawlessness is not the opposite of law. Lawlessness in the Bible is the opposite of righteousness. It is a rebellion against the person of God. It is the opposite of righteousness. Many of you know well that Paul's statement in 2 Corinthians 6 That we are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. We use this as a principle in our counseling. 
counseling believers not to join themselves in marriage to unbelievers because there are contrary principles at play. There's an inherent unsteadiness in such a marriage. Do you remember the example that Paul uses to describe this? He says, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? It's a stark contrast. You see, sin is offensive to God. Sin is not amoral. Now, I know that may seem a tautology, but in our modern age, it requires more and more explanation because more and more people, both outside and inside the church, are seeking to make sin changeable. To define sin by the culture. You see, when something is sin, it is wrong, always, all the time, for everyone. And the problem the church has is when it tries to define sin, it loses sight of this. You see, some people want to define a preference as sin. Perhaps one example might be some wish to define any drinking of any alcohol as a sin. There's one problem with that. You make Jesus a sinner. Now, there certainly is a sinful way to drink, and there certainly is sinful behavior that goes along with drinking. But if something is a sin, it is a sin at all times for all people. I once had someone approach me, a homeschooling dad, and tell me it was an absolute sin not to homeschool children. And so I said, so you mean at every time and in every place and in every situation, not homeschooling is a sin. A single mother who has to work is in sin because she can't teach her children. People who don't have the wherewithal or the ability to homeschool, that would be a sin. But you see, what's What's being gotten at here is someone, especially within the church, taking something that is good and a preference of their own and trying to apply it to everyone else and put the label sin on it. We also experience the opposite in our world today. Others want to dismiss sin as culture or mere politics. Perhaps the most obvious example that is raging across the Christian church is an acceptance of homosexuality and same-sex marriage. The definition of marriage has been changed. And what the Bible says is wrong and is sin is waved away. Because somehow our culture has changed and decided that things are different. Of an earlier generation, the exact same thing has happened with the wickedness of abortion. And we see where that has brought us. Tens of millions of dead. Because so many in the church have been afraid to stand up and call sin, sin. You see, the thing is, sin is what keeps us from God. It separates us from God because He is holy. He cannot compromise who He is. We cannot go to God... He must come to us because of our sin that separates us from Him. This is what John says in verse 5. You know that He, that is Jesus, appeared to take away sins. And in Him there is no sin. 
John here uses the word appeared rather than was born to remind us that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. And that not only in his first appearing, but in his second appearing, he comes to take away sin. To rid sin from our lives. To take away the consequences and the wrath of God from sin. That is the glory of the gospel. The glory of the gospel is that Jesus has no sin at all. John is very emphatic in this. Well, have you thought then, why would Jesus sacrifice himself for sinners? He who had no sin, why would he pay the penalty for us? We who have rebelled and sinned. It's certainly not a reward for our behavior because our behavior is what separates us from God. No, it is rather a mission that our Lord Jesus Christ has gone on to change sinners, to make us new, to take sin out of our lives. Well, what then happens when we come to God? John is very stark here again. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. And in verse 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Now, this here is our translation helping us to understand what John means. Because in verse 4, John uses a present participle. And in verse 6, he uses a present tense verb. And if we were to translate this simply, everyone who sins practices lawlessness, and no one who abides in him sins, we would be extremely confused, wouldn't we? We would look at ourselves and say, well, then I must not be right with God because I sin. And actually, we'd be even more confused because if you'll recall, John told us in chapter 1 that anyone who says he is without sin is a liar and knows not the truth. So what John is referring to is not the single acts of sin that we each fall into and have to repent of before a holy God and seek His grace to be free from. But no, he is referring to a pattern of life, something that flows out of us as an ordinary course of our lives. That's why our translation uses the phrase, a practice of sinning, keeping on sinning. And this just makes sense to us, I think. There is a difference between someone who in desperation lies and then is remorseful for it and asks for forgiveness and another person who lies constantly as a part of their life. You never hear the truth from their lips. They're lying so often. We notice that there is a fundamental difference there. That while we are not perfect, those who have come to Christ, those who have been brought to God, do not have a practice of sin that shows who they are. You see, the one who keeps on sinning may talk about knowing Jesus, but he doesn't know the reality of Jesus. John says he has neither seen him nor known him. Perhaps you have come across These sorts of people who talk a good game. They talk about Jesus. They may even say they're a Christian, but you can't see any change at all in their life. It's as if they're in a race to break each and every one of the Ten Commandments all the time. It's as if 
They care nothing for God's law and God's people. You see, that life belies the talk that comes out of their mouth. To have really seen Jesus Christ, to have really known Jesus, is to embrace Him and His work. Because you see, this shows us the second thing from our text this evening. That is, that our actions show our character. You see, it is not that we are what we do. We do what we are. Do you see the difference? It is not that our actions make up the sum of who we are, but who we are inside, the character that we have, the person that we are, shows forth in our actions. And so John tells us, first and foremost, that righteousness comes from Jesus Christ. He says in verse 7, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he, again, that is Jesus, is righteous. You see, there is a deception out there, not just in John's day, but it's out there in the mall, and on television, and in the movies, and in far too many churches in our land. The deception that is out there is that you can be righteous before God without really practicing righteousness. That you don't need to show righteousness in your life to be right with God. That if somehow God has changed you, made you a new creation, brought you into His midst, you can remain unchanged in your actions. This was a dangerous heresy in John's day, and it is gaining headway today. It's a dangerous deception. And so John is emphatically trying to protect us from this deception. It's a deception that leads us to separate words from actions. But you see, the truth is that showing and practicing righteousness shows who we are. Do you remember what our Lord Jesus Christ said about how we show our lives? He says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? He's saying the type of tree that you are is shown in your fruit. It's not as if somehow a bad tree can will itself to produce good fruit and change itself to a good tree. No, a tree that is bad bears bad fruit. Why? Because it's a bad tree. A tree that is good bears good fruit. Why? Because it is a good tree. You see, our actions, the things that we say, the things that we do, the way that we are around others, shows the contents of our hearts. And so to be righteous and to practice righteousness is to have Jesus Christ himself at the center of our lives. Because you see, it is Jesus who is righteous. And it is Jesus who makes us right before God. 
It is Jesus that allows us to bear good fruit. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. We must be connected to the righteousness of Christ to be righteous. You see, we cannot pretend to have Jesus and nourish in our hearts what Jesus hates. Jesus hates greed. Jesus hates lies. Jesus hates oppression. Jesus hates covetousness. Jesus hates blasphemy. See, we cannot pretend that somehow we can live lives that are marked by these sins and still love Jesus. It's completely contrary to the nature of the gospel. Because you see, the opposite is true. If righteousness comes from Christ, John tells us sin comes from the devil. Look at verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. You see, it's equally clear where sin comes from. The source of a life of sin is the devil. Because the devil is, after all, the author of sin. He is the first sinner. He is the author of lies and of self-deception. Isn't this what Jesus told the Pharisees in John 8? You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Now you see, the contrast before us should be obvious. Not only is sin incompatible with Christ, Christ has come to destroy the works of the devil. He came to bring forgiveness, as we see in verse 5. But that's not the only reason he came. He came, John tells us, to destroy the works of the devil, to liberate us from the practice of sin. This is why Jesus has come into the world and come into the life of the believer. To free you from the practice of sin that would ensnare you. To free you from the deception of the evil one who would seek to destroy you. This then brings us to the third thing we see from our text this evening. And that is that if it is true that our actions show our character, it is also true that our nature determines our character. What do I mean by this? Our nature is such that if we have come by faith to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are changed by God. Coming to Christ changes who we are. You see, you can go to college and study philosophy and become a Platonist and not be changed. Or become a follower of Descartes and not be changed. You can carry on various forms of literary understanding. You can become a deconstructionist, a modernist, a postmodernist, whatever you like, but it doesn't change who you are. You can become a Buddhist or a Muslim. But in the end, it doesn't change fundamentally who you are. But to become a Christian means you must be changed down to the core of your very being. You are no longer your own. 
You are bought with a price. You are born again from above. And God has created in you a new person, a new creation. And this change in our being changes the principles that we live by. John says this again here in verse 9. No one, note again the universal nature of this. Not just good Christians, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. There can be no practice of sinning in the believer. Now, this does not mean that we automatically become sinless. It does not mean we can't achieve perfection. There are some who are foolish enough and have a low enough view of sin to act as if they can go entirely without sinning. That's not what John is saying here. What he is saying is the principle of our life and the direction of who we are is fundamentally changed by coming to Christ. You see, we are not as Christ is. But the good news of the gospel is we will be. He is forging us into his image, making us more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ, that in glory we will be sinless. We will not be able to sin. How can we know this? How has this happened? John tells us that this happens because God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. You see, our character is changed because our nature has been changed. The seed of God abides in us. I think what John means here by the seed of God is his word and his spirit, ever guiding us into the will of God, ever working with our conscience, pointing us toward the Lord himself, toward his will. This keeps us from a life of sin. Because the life of sin is incompatible with our new nature. And then what happens is we show the change in our nature in our lives. Look at verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. How is this evident? You know, as a pastor, I often think at times it might be at least more efficient or easier if everyone who trusted Jesus Christ by faith got a mark on their forehead or maybe on their nose so that when they came to be interviewed by the session, we just have to look at the mark and we would know exactly. But we all know that's not how life works, right? God doesn't issue x-ray glasses to pastors to look into your soul and to see if you truly have trusted in Jesus Christ by faith. There is no physical manifestation of those who have trusted in Christ. Well, how then can we tell? How can we tell in others as we look at others that they have trusted in Christ? And perhaps more importantly, how can we tell in ourselves? Would it not be great for our assurance if we could go and look in the mirror and see the mark and be assured that we were Jesus's? Well, John tells us How we can know. How we can know clearly. It is actually evident, John says. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. 
You see, we are able to know it is evident, and it is evident from the practice of our lives. Our lives show that either the source of our life is Christ or the devil. Our practice is what is seen, both vertically with respect to God, righteous before God, and horizontally with others. Because you see, John says we can tell that we are born of God by the love we have for our brother. One author has put it this way that I think is very appropriate. He says, love is righteousness in relation to other people. Putting others first. Seeking their benefit and welfare. Well, how is it then that we are to live as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We know we cannot live lives of sinless perfection. But we do know that Jesus makes a change in our life. We will never be the same once we have come to know Jesus. Our habits change. Our speech changes. Our actions change. This is to the glory of God, and it is also to our assurance We can look at the manifestation of God's word and his spirit, the seed that is in our lives, and as it brings forth good fruit, we can be encouraged. Knowing that we are following the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that he is equipping us, knowing that he has freed us from the bondage of sin and its penalty at the wrath of God. This is the glory of forsaking sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you this evening that you are indeed glorious. You are righteous, O Lord. And that you have given us a new nature. A new nature that we might follow you and that we might practice righteousness. That we might be encouraged to know that we are indeed born of God. Lord, help us as we struggle in the way. Help us as we struggle with temptation and trials. Help us to follow after your will, to seek the Lord Jesus Christ in all that we do. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen.